Welcome. This is the Way Home Podcast. A podcast built around conversations on church, community, and culture. And now, here's Dan Darling. Welcome to the Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling. I've got a question for you. Is our sports allegiances, our allegiance to our favorite teams that we know and love, is this good for our faith? As most of you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm an avid sports fan, especially Sundays during NFL season. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, and so I'm tweeting about the game all the time. And is this good and compatible with our faith to love our teams uh, this much? Well, this is the question I'm asking Dr. David Prince, who's senior pastor of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. He also teaches at Southern Seminary there in Louisville, Kentucky, and is a prolific writer and speaker. If you go to ERLC.com, you can find his many great articles on our website on parenting, on sports, on preaching. And him and I have an interesting discussion about sports and faith. He'll also talk about parents and whether or not we should have our kids involved in sports and if that's good or bad for them. And kind of as a bonus, we're also going to talk about racial reconciliation. One of the things I've admired about Dr. Prince is he's made racial reconciliation an intentional effort in his church and his church leadership. And he talks about what that looks like for pastors, for church leaders, and how to have your churches reflect more the communities uh, around them. And so uh, he's a very respected pastor and teacher. His articles are some of the most popular ones we publish on ERLC. He also has a terrific website called Prince on Preaching, where he gives great tips for gospel preachers to inform the way that they preach on Sundays. We'll have all this information in the show notes on my podcast page. But for now, let's join our conversation with Dr. David Prince. Well, Dr. Prince, thanks for joining me today. Glad to be here. I want to talk about a few things, but I first want to talk a little bit about sports. When this podcast airs, we'll we'll be right around the time that pitchers and catchers report in baseball, which I know is one of your favorite. Baseball is one of your favorite sports. And so um, I first have to ask you, you're a Braves fan, right? Yes. (laughs) So, and I'm a Cubs fan. So I wanted to ask you if I should be excited about the Cubs this year. Absolutely. I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to be very disappointed about the Braves this year, but uh, it will be, I think, an exciting year for the Cubs. I think that the Cubs are really headed in the right direction. You know, you've written a little bit about, even for us on ERLC.com, about your love of baseball and some of the lessons it teaches. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you love the sport so much and kind of the lessons it teaches? Uh, you've even talked about how it uh, has things to teach us about fatherhood. you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, uh, baseball has been sort of the background music of my entire life. Uh, my my dad started uh, teaching me to play baseball before I could even walk. <laughs> you know, Willie May said that he learned how to walk because his dad would roll a baseball in front of him and try to get him to crawl and <laughs> get it and walk to it. And uh, that's sort of my experience. I, I grew up in the, um, the buckle of the Bible belt as far as... Uh, commitment to football, and I love football, enjoy football, uh, love basketball, uh, but there's really nothing uh, for me like the love I have for baseball, and it's partly because of uh, the memories that I have uh, mm-hmm. with my dad practicing with me, because baseball is uniquely a sport that demands fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a kid can, uh, you can throw up a basketball hoop and a kid can go out and play and practice. 
Uh, if a kid's big enough, strong enough, and fast enough, he's going to excel at football if he wants to. Mm-hmm. But baseball is a is a small skill sport. You can't throw batting practice to yourself. You can't play catch with yourself. There's a reason grown men uh, often cry at the end of Field of Dreams mm-hmm. when he's throwing with his dad. So baseball uniquely demands fathers to be involved for it to be passed down. And so I have tons of memories on the way my dad uh, basically taught me about life through teaching me the game of baseball. And baseball is so synced up with the rhythms of life. It's, it's a daily experience. Uh, no win during the regular season is too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, no loss is, is season-ending. So it's built into the rhythm of your life. You know, at, in my house, morning breakfast time included the box scores and talking about what happened the day before. And, you know, there are tons of things there, as I've tried to write about, that, uh, to be honest with you, the way my dad passed baseball on to me, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, but I became a Christian when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the ways I saw my father pass the game on to me have been ways uh, that I've uh, thought about passing the faith uh, on to my children. You know, nobody learns baseball in an afternoon. <laughs> it's a slow, patient, methodical process of learning the game. But that's also why baseball fans tend to be so loyal, so committed, so mm-hmm. thoughtful. I wanted to talk about sports because, you know, I think as Christians, sometimes um, we feel guilty about our love of sports. And Mm -hmm. you and I both know sports can become an idol, of course. But do we sometimes go too far in the other direction to where we kind of act like, well, it's meaningless. It doesn't matter. And you seem to feel like sports actually has a lot of good for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are really two ditches, and one of those ditches is to act like sports are the end-all, be-all. And parents uh, who too often try to relive their sports dreams through the lives of their children, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, youth activities as far as sports uh, pull families out of church, things like that. So certainly Mm -hmm. there's a danger and a downside, uh, but, but that's a problem with perspective, not a problem inherent with sport. I think that uh, sports offer a an environment where children are challenged uh, at a level of uh, uh, their moral courage. Uh, mm-hmm. They learn how to be a part of a, a team and all kinds of things like that. So I think there's also a ditch with um, saying, well, we're Christians and we have more important priorities, so our kids play, but they don't, we don't take it seriously. Well, I, I think you should eat, drink, or do whatever you do to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And so just like a kid staring out the window uh, in math class not paying attention is is a uh, uh, moral, ethical problem, <laughs> uh, and it's a problem with God, so it's ultimately a theological problem. I think if children are going to be involved in sports, they ought to be doing everything they can to honor their coaches, their teammates, their family by maximizing their ability with, with maximum effort. And I think that uh, the sort of reductionistic approach to Christianity that says, you know, the only things that really matter in w- is when we're directly sharing our faith or directly talking about Christianity. I think that's very problematic and unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want a reductionistic attitude about my faith, but an expansive one. 
And I see sports as a competitive manifestation of the performing arts. Mm -hmm. uh, so just like, you know, somebody might say with music or with drama, uh, with um, uh, dance and all kinds of ways in which you can see elements of the goodness of God, truth, beauty, and goodness. I think those are manifest in sports for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, it doesn't automatically happen. And so I think a lot of us watch sports uh, on autopilot, disassociated from our thoughts about our faith and our walk with Christ. And so sports don't do in our lives what they could do if we personally saw mm -hmm. our engagement with sports as an opportunity to um, honor and glorify God. Let me ask you this. You're a pastor of a large church, but you're also a father. And so if you could counsel parents on how to handle sports in their families, especially if, they're, if their kids are really into sports and they're into sports, how do you do that well? Yeah, well, I, I've got eight children, as uh, you know, and uh, some of them are too young to be formally involved, but they're, you know, they're, all of my children are active in, in sports. And, you know, I think it provides a wonderful opportunity for parents to uh, teach their kids about priorities by being involved in sports. First of all, that uh, anything you do, you ought to do to the best of your ability to honor God with the ability He's given you, but also to keep sports in perspective, which mm -hmm. helps you think about other aspects of life and the ability to keep uh, in perspective. I've always, I always hear parents, you know, either they say, we're not going to sign up for sports because we don't want it to distract from our lives and say church attendance, mm -hmm. or you get the family that signs up for sports, and then they just travel around every weekend and skip church for, church for months at a time. Uh, well, neither those are not the only two alternatives. <laughs> as a as a father who's had kids playing baseball for a lot of years, you know we are totally committed. Effort we we practice on our own, not just with the team. So it's obvious that we are a committed family mm -hmm. who wants to help the league and our our team. But what I've done is just at the beginning of each year, I just say, "Hey, listen, we're we're committed to to Christ and to honoring Christ at church." We see Sunday as the Lord's Day, and we set that day apart, and so we don't we don't play or practice on Sunday. If that's a problem for any given coach, then I want him to know that going in. Mm -hmm. Or if my sons make the all-star team in baseball, hey, we know the tournaments are on weekends, and a lot of times the championship game's on Sunday. If that's a problem for you, you probably shouldn't put my son on the all-star mm -hmm. uh, team. Well, what I've happened, as long as you're up front, hey, this is who we are, these are our convictions, most people respect that. And it's also a wonderful opportunity to teach your children about your priorities. Because if you, if you ask my sons, does dad love and care about baseball? Yes. <laughs> is he going to allow baseball to get in the way of our uh, commitment to Christ at church? And I think that they would say no. And so I think that you have a lot of times it's just simply a leadership problem in the home yeah. rather than anything being inherently problematic about sports. And sometimes we just want to hide behind that sports and not just the real issue. Abs I absolutely. 
I want to talk, I want to move a little bit. You teach preaching as well at Southern Seminary there in Louisville. And besides pastoring uh, at Ashland Avenue Church in, in Lexington there. And as you know, uh, we're having our conference coming up soon on racial reconciliation. You've written quite a bit on this topic. And can you talk a little bit about some of the things you've tried to do in your church in terms of racial reconciliation and modeling that as a pastor, as a family, but also trying to teach and preach on this in the church? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think one of the main reasons that we, you know, we don't see more multi-ethnicity in our churches is just simply because even though most of the churches I'm familiar with would be open to whoever wants to come to that church, uh, there are a lot of historical uh, boundaries that have been in place, and us just saying we would we would be open to whoever wants to come is not going to create an environment that is going to overcome those sort of historical set patterns and boundaries. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we've tried to do is simply, uh, first of all, not read and preach the Bible through our own sort of lens of our own background and, and see what's actually there in God being glorified through the diversity uh, of people who name the name of Christ, mm-hmm. but also to simply value in the church that every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we want to be at least as diverse as the community that we're in. Years ago, about eight years ago, we hired a person on staff who is a staff missionary who uh, primary whose primary responsibility is to help us understand how to reach all the ethnicities that are in our, our, our city. We have several colleges, so there are tons of internationals mm-hmm. who come to Lexington. We've seen a lot of people from all over the world come to faith in Christ and then go back to their countries. We, we, we tend to call it reverse missions. But we talk about and value that. So we value um, different expressions in terms of, of worship and, and music and uh, responsibilities. And so we've seen a lot of people come to faith in Christ, literally from all over the world, but we've tried to be very intentional about that and to create that as a, a value, a primary way we reflect mm-hmm. the gospel. Uh, if reconciliation is reconciliation between God and man, uh, the Bible tells us that one of the primary displays of that is reconciliation uh, between men who have natural cultural boundaries but who are one new man in Christ. Mm. And, and so we try to see what we do through the lens of creating a culture uh, where that's valued. Maybe you could dig in a little bit on that and talk to pastors who really want to make this happen in the church and you know how to preach well on racial reconciliation. Because I, I have the, the sense that for a lot of Christians, racial reconciliation is one of those things, but I'm talking white Christians particularly, racial reconciliation is probably one of those things that they think is, wow, that, that would be nice. That would be great if, if we could happen, but don't really see it as a sort of gospel imperative, if you will, as a gospel issue. So can you talk to uh, pastors who are preaching and, and, and want to teach their people? How do you do that well? First of all, I would say that not only is it a gospel imperative, that few things are more clear in Scripture. When you come to Ephesians uh, chapter Mm -hmm. 2, 
about all the outer walls being broken down, and Jew and Gentile now are one man in Christ. When we see the uh, ethnic diversity in the leadership uh, at the church at Antioch, it is so clear that one of the primary manifestations of this new community, this new household of God, is that uh, it is made up of people who, who naturally would never have gathered together. But what binds them together is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I think is that a lot of the—we the, would like to have diversity as an idea, as an abstract concept, but we don't want the pursuit of diversity to cost us anything. Mm. And, and I think that's the issue. This is clearly in Galatians where, where uh, Paul is calling Peter to walk in line with the truth of the gospel. And it is an example, even in that context, of the preferential treatment of people based on the outer externals. And so that's what we're doing. Pastors have a, have a decision to make. Are you going to be what I would call an uh, ecclesial caretaker of the status quo? Or are you going to be a gospel agitator? Mm. You know, there are a lot of ways in which... Uh, Pastors, I think, divide churches and argue about things that really don't matter. Mm. <laughs> there are a lot of things that they're spending their capital on as a leader uh, that are, are really very uh, minor when it comes to walking in line with the gospel. But this issue, and particularly in our context and the historical patterns of the church in America, this issue is a primary issue of walking in line with the gospel. And so if you're willing to spend your leadership capital on anything, it ought to be this. And I really believe that a lot of churches are being held back in their effectiveness as a missional community because of the unwillingness to confront this issue, uh, the unwillingness to pay the price. Mm -hmm. and, and listen, it, you know, I get when I write and talk about these sorts of issues, race through the lens of the gospel. I get more negative mail and responses than any other thing wow. I talk about. Now, that's not a prompt for me. Okay, well, you ought to back off of yeah. that. That's a prompt for me that's telling me that. Um, this is shaking up some settled complacency mm. in evangelical churches that need to be shaken up. You know, it seems pastors have a temptation to to preach on controversial things that they know that their audience agrees <laughs> with, right? So we yes. think we're doing, you know, we're being countercultural, but we're really playing to the crowd. So if we're in a very conservative town will kind of play up some of the things that people who watch Fox News like to hear. If we're in a more progressive town, we'll play up some of the things that people you know who watch MSNBC like to hear. So maybe talk to pastors on, on being, you know, like you said, a, a gospel agitator that way. Well, yeah, I, I call it amen preaching. <laughs> a, a lot of times the pastors that are the loudest and most bombastic and have the perception that they're courageous, are really not. It's not courageous to just simply rail on the sins that are not in the room, mm. or even if they are in the room, 
that the room has already agreed upon are sins. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that happens a lot. And you know what will get the crowd stirred up, and so you sort of play to it, and you're loud and authoritative, so that seems courageous. Mm -hmm. And yet, real gospel courage in preaching is dealing with the sins that are actually in the room. Mm. Uh, In a a lot of conservative churches, you can say that homosexuality is a sin, and you can pound the pulpit and and say, you know, we've got to stop the the gay agenda, and that sounds courageous. But if you've already agreed in the room that most people understand homosexuality is a sin, what's in the room? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in in a church like mine, you know, I say, you know, it's it's one thing for us to say what the Bible says about this being a sin and stop there, but we can never stop there, because we don't want to stop there with our own sin either. We've got to see our sin through the lens of the gospel. The gospel has plenty to say about someone struggling with a sin of same-sex attraction. And the truth is, we are the instruments to serve and to minister to people and to point them to Christ. And so, you know, I'll use an analogy like um, you have new neighbors that move in, you're excited, and then you find out that it's a same-sex couple. Mm-hmm. Does your heart sink, or do you say, praise God for this opportunity, we're going to love and serve them and build a relationship with them? Mm-hmm. Just because they're people created in the image of God, first of all, not with an agenda, but we, we are Christians, <laughs> and we do believe Jesus is the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. So, of course, that's, that's going to be a part of it as well. And, and so there, there are countless issues to where you can give the perception of courage in preaching, but really be acting cowardly. Because what you're avoiding is dealing with the application of the gospel to the people in the room in the way they're trying to avoid the implications of the gospel. And and most pastors are savvy enough about their own context to know what those things uh, usually are, are the struggles. And real courage is, is doing that. It's preaching the gospel and calling the people uh, who are actually there to apply it faithfully and effectively. That's a great word. Dr. Prince, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Really appreciate your insights, and we'll definitely have you back sometime. It's my honor to be with you. Thank you very much. Well, I want to thank Dr. David Prince for joining us today on the podcast. Very interesting discussion about sports, about parenting, about racial reconciliation and church leadership and preaching. If you want more information about him or about his articles, check out the show notes on my podcast page at danieldarling.com. You could also go to erlc.com and search David Prince and find his articles there. But for now, thank you for joining us on the Way Home Podcast. You've been listening to the Way Home Podcast. For show notes, more information about Dan Dan or the ERLC, please visit danieldarling.com. This episode has been brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thanks for listening.